Today's scripture reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is in, in need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. So, you know, I've heard this story preached a lot in churches. You probably have too. And it typically goes this way. Um, Mary good, Martha bad. Or uh, Mary uh, awesome, Martha kind of misguided, right? That's kind of how it goes. And I don't know if that's entirely fair. Um, there's a lot we can learn from Martha too. There's a lot I, I, we're all in periods of our lives where we're a Martha and we're also a Mary, where we uh, can turn on both, you know? Um, but it is from, from this story, I felt like I needed to say that all work can become holy work. And that Martha is doing work. And it's not the work that's bad. It's maybe why she's doing the work uh, that he's calling out as well. And so, now how many Marthas are there in the room? Uh, literally, if your name is Martha, maybe? Or figuratively, if you're a Martha, um, you can't stop moving. Is that you? After I had about the third cup of coffee, I get all sweaty. Is that you? You just get all worked up? Um, that's me. I'm a doer. I like checklists and checking things off. It feels good, right? Let's get stuff done, right? Faith without works is dead, man. I don't want my faith to be dead. I got to do stuff. We got to get stuff done. And there's, there's truth about that. We have to work. We have to be productive and be fruitful for the kingdom. Um, but sometimes the busyness can go too far, right? It can kind of lose its mooring. You know, the last church I worked at, the church kitchen, literally had so many signs on the cabinets and the fridge, and it's day everywhere. Like, you didn't even read any of them. There were so many rules. Some, some people had gotten in there with a Martha mindset, and just bam, it's like just verbal vomit everywhere on the walls. It's just like <laughs> crazy. It reminded me of this cartoon I saw on Facebook a long time ago, where it's like, do not open this door, open this door. Do not use this freezer. Use this freezer. Do not use this oven unless you clean it. Do not slam it. I mean, it goes on and on and on. That's like, there's a lot you can read in that. It's pretty funny. But, you know, when, you, when I walked into that, I thought about Martha. And I thought it was sort of like, Martha, come on. Just, just be like Mary, okay? Just be like Mary. Just chill out. But you have to remember, though, that these two are sisters. They've grown up together. Martha, we are led to believe, is probably the older one, so Mary's the younger sister, and Martha's probably thinking, great, Mary's the favorite one with Jesus and not me. My younger sister is outshining me, sort of like Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> Most of us are old enough to resemble that comment. No one likes to live in the shadow of a sibling, especially your younger sibling. It reminds me of the comedian Michael Jr. He tells this joke about, you know, Jesus... Could you imagine being Jesus' half-brother or sister? Right? Like James? Like James. Jesus made wine at the wedding. Can you at least make some Kool-Aid or something? Can you at least like, you know, 
crank, you're like, come on, can't you be more like Jesus? I mean, good grief. You would never outshine him, right? You know, regardless of the sibling rivalry, maybe, there are things we can learn from Mary and Martha here, um, and Martha too. But Jesus' statement to Martha cuts, I think, to the heart of human existence, really, and the purpose of work itself, which is why are you doing it, and who is it for? And that all work can become holy work if we choose to do so. Now, let's get some backstory on Martha. She comes up in the New Testament pretty frequently, particularly in the Gospel of John. You see her appear a few times. Um, In John chapter 11, when they call for Jesus, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus dies. And so uh, they call for Jesus to come to Bethany and help, and he comes. And the first one to come out to greet Jesus is Martha. Being the more aggressive one, we think she was older, she comes out ahead of Mary, and when Jesus tells her that Lazarus was going to rise again, Martha says, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I mean, what a beautiful statement of faith from Martha, that she goes, yes, I believe you're going to do that. And look at him, lo and behold, he did. At a later meal in John 12 too, Martha is serving all the disciples and those gathered. So we can surmise that Martha was the head of this household. She got stuff done. I mean, first century Judea, you couldn't take a nap. You couldn't chill out and take... I mean, you had to haul water and clean and protect your home, and I mean, it was rough living. So, of course, she's worried and distracted by many things, right? How many of you today are worried and distracted by many things? Show of hands. If you're not, you're lying. So don't lie in church, okay? I mean, come on. (laughs) We're all worried and distracted by many things. It's inherent to the human condition. But we need people who get stuff done. I mean, here's Martha literally serving Jesus. She's literally serving him food and cleaning her house for the Son of God who's sitting right there. So if that isn't holy work or potentially holy work, I don't know what could be. But the motive of her heart had lost its way. And maybe she'd forgotten who she was doing it for, even though he was sitting right there. Now, some work doesn't feel like holy work, for sure. I've had plenty of jobs that felt awful. They were terrible jobs. I, had, I, I, I washed dishes one time at a Greek restaurant in high school, right? Has anyone ever been a dishwasher? Talk about thankless work. Uh, the dishes keep coming. You're scrubbing cheese off hot plates. Your hands are burned. Uh, it's hot. It's humid. You're on your feet all day. It's rough. It was so bad. I would go in the bathroom and just sit on the toilet. I didn't even have to go. I just sat in there and closed the door put my feet up in a fetal position and sucked on my thumbs. Like, just leave me alone. This job is awful, even though you get paid cash, still. It did not feel like holy work, scrubbing cheese off, you know, somebody's pita plate. Now, there's a monk named Brother Lawrence who wrote about the spirituality of work, though, who taught that really work can become holy work if we devote it in the right direction. Um, He would say that the attitude is a choice, that work is actually a spiritual exercise. Work is good for our souls, if we remember who and why we're doing it. He wrote this, it is lamentable to see how many, now this is the 15th century, by the way, okay? (laughs) This is hundreds of years ago. People have not changed. 
It is lamentable to see how many people mistake the means for the end, addicting themselves to certain works which they performed very imperfectly by reason of their human or selfish regards. So a a compartmentalization of faith and works in the lives of Christians is not new. But blending them and seeing that they can become ministry, your work can become ministry to the glory of God, that's a different level. But if you compartmentalize them both, some things have never changed. And this is the key, what Lawrence says. Our sanctification, our growing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus, our sanctification does not depend upon changing our works, but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. So because I work in a church, it doesn't mean my work's more holy than yours, right? Like that job, that show Dirty Jobs, you ever watch that? I love that show. Like you're a whale autopsy technician. You can do that for the glory of God. If you're working in a sewer or whatever, you can do that for the glory of God. It doesn't matter. In the, in the early church, in the first century and onward, Christians were known for doing that. That they, they were so, they were on time, they were respect to their boss or their, the leader, they didn't complain. They, they, they did the work not for themselves. They didn't labor for their own, but for God's glory. And maybe that's where Martha is right now. Even though Jesus is sitting right there, she, she's forgotten that she's doing it, maybe not for his sake, but for her own. And she gets stuck inside her own head, right? You guys ever get stuck inside your own head and the wheels just keep going? That's a, that's a, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, Work for work's sake can leave you feeling exasperated and unfulfilled. But see, when I graduated from college, that's what they taught us, right? When you, when you graduate from college and someone gives up and gives a, a speech full of platitudes, and they say, pursue your passion and do that for a living. Well, scr- scrubbing j- dishes was not my passion, but sometimes you just don't have a choice. See, our culture doesn't like, doesn't like looking at just being. We look at doing to find identity, don't we? We, we? we find our identity in what we do, and that's not a bad thing. But like Martha, we can become so antsy that we don't sit at like Mary and just find the one necessary thing. It's easier to find your identity in doing. I mean, what do people ask you the first time you meet them? Or when I meet people, what do you ask? What do you do for a living, Right? And that's okay, again. But if you find your passion and you do that, well, passion runs out. Emotions don't always happen. See, but faith is a choice, right? What we do for the glory of God is a choice that we make. It doesn't always work out that way, that we get to do our passion. Sometimes work is just work. And we have to make a choice in those moments. How will we glorify God? I remember when I was, uh, another job I had, I, I picked a driving range at Forsyth uh, Country Club, and I would drive that cart. You know the cart that you aim at when you're hitting? Right? Oh, I've aimed at it. Do you, need, do you know what happens if you're in the cart when you get hit with a golf ball? It's like a shotgun going off. Um, that got paid four twenty-five an hour, and that's what I did. I drove, scooted around and picked up golf balls. When it rained, we had to do it by hand, even though they're still hitting, and golf balls are landing all around us. Um, was that my passion? No, it was not. But we can be asked to do things that we maybe get no self-fulfillment whatsoever. But when our, when our work is really for self-fulfillment, self-realization, that is what we would call modern therapeutic deism. That's not basic Christianity, though. 
That's not following Jesus with your work. That's following yourself with your work. And it look, look at like Ephesians chapter 6. When Paul writes this. The words still ring true. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. Whatever we do, do it for the Lord. Whatever it is you're called to do, do it for him and glorify him. To her credit, I like to think that Martha heard this, you know, semi-rebuke from Jesus, and I really like to think she probably stopped what she was doing and said, you know what, you're right. And she sat down and knelt beside her sister and paused for a few moments. It's not recorded, but I like to think that's what happened. Because Martha gets kind of a raw deal. Martha's doing what she has to do. And Jesus' words here are specifically for Martha in the affair of her heart, the, the motive or orientation of her heart. He sees it and he says, you're focused, you're focused on all these things that you don't really need they're important, but they're not needs. Mary's found the thing that's most, the biggest need, and she will not let, and it will not be taken from her. So what drove Mary to Jesus' feet? What caused her to drop what she was doing? She was probably working at some point that day. What caused Mary to go, okay, I'm going to lay it all down, and I, I just need to sit at his feet? Because he's here. Like, he's here in my house. And I'm not going to let that go. What caused her to do that? To step from a place of busyness and distractedness to a place of grace. To a place of receiving instead of just trying to give and earn and do. To, to, to find this, the most important thing. Um, the leader of, uh, the, the head of Sanctuary Counseling Group came and spoke to the pastors here this week. If, we did, if you didn't know this, uh, sanctuary counseling has an office here in the church. So if you ever need a Christian counselor, they're always here. Great people. And you can call and set up an appointment. And great, they're, they're awesome. And he was talking to us this week about um, a lot of his clients he has. And the head of sanctuary, I think they're in Charlotte. And he said, most of my client base are young men in their 20s and early 30s. He's like, I don't know why, but that's just how God gave it. That's, that's just my calling, I guess is to minister to these young, young guys. And he said, all of them have the one thing in common, the obstacle that all of them have in common, is that they are unable to receive grace. They think it's for somebody else, but not for them. They think they're so broken that they're beyond repair. And they can't get over that hump to see that it's for them as much as it is for anyone else that they're overwhelmed by their feelings of worthlessness, of unworthiness, of the wounds and the pain of whatever has happened to them in their lives are so high on their list that they can't even begin to, to fathom of the God of the universe would give his life for them and forgive them. And that's a good reminder that everybody we meet is going through some kind of quiet struggle everybody. And so be kind, because everyone we meet is, is a, a better question to ask of, instead of what's wrong with you, a good question to ask is what happened to you? Because some people have some deep, deep wounds. 
And they're so deep that you can't even begin to fathom that, Jesus, that, that God loves you as much as he loves his son. Right? People tend to think, well, yeah, God loves Jesus. That's his son. Of course he loves him more than me. No. God loves you as much as he loves his son. Yeah, I know it's radical, but it's true. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead can live in you. Can live in you. Can resurrect the dead in you. So, I don't mean to be callous, and I'm not, and I've been there too. But when your wounds of your past want to overshadow the grace of God, that's almost pride in saying, I know better than God. To hear me on that, I'm not saying he doesn't care about your wound. I'm saying, don't let that overshadow what his promise is for you. Because he doesn't want you to stay in that place. He doesn't want you to stay in that place. So many of us are overburdened with bad information, bad news, self-hatred. When we hear these words of Jesus to Martha, replace Martha's name with your name and hear it again. Because I think this is for you today. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part which will not be taken away from her. So this is the word of Jesus to her, but also to us, that sin likes to take ultimate things, or good things, and make them ultimate things. Busyness, worried, job, family, all good, good things, but they become ultimate things. Money, they become ultimate things. And we forget the most important thing that you need the most, which is Jesus in your life, which is him in your life. And when Jesus is down on the list, maybe he's not in your list at all. It creates great chaos in our lives. Mary makes a wise choice. And it's, it's a choice that she makes, a choice anybody can make. Anybody can make it. Faith is a choice. It's a decision, an ongoing decision that we make. That we are not what has happened to you. You are not where you are. Your identity is not found in what has happened to you. Your identity is found in what God says about you. And Jesus says, if you choose me, if you look to me and live in me, if you focus on me and the giver of life, again, put that back up, the last verse, it will not be taken away from you. Never. So that's why we started this service with Romans 8. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. But nothing, nothing will separate you from that love in your life. And I felt, I don't do this a lot, but I felt called this week through an impression I had that I was reading a book last night and it came up again, so I got to honor it. Just to do an old-fashioned altar call. Okay, now listen. I, I was a Baptist kid growing up a little bit, and I know we, we, all, got saved, we all got saved every week, okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's not what I'm doing here. I like occasional altar calls because it tells people you can bring your crisis into the church. You can bring your crisis into the church. You can bring your crisis to the prayer rail. You should, and that's okay. It's more than okay. Because when you bring your crisis into the worship service, out of that can eventually come resurrection, right? So I'm gonna pray, and as we sing this last song, just come up and pray. If you want me to lay hands on you and pray for you, I'd love to, I'll be standing right there. 
Just come over and pr- I'll pray with you. Okay? Don't be ashamed when looking at you or whatever. You know, this, it's a time to, just to sit at his feet, right? Just to sit at his feet. And, and maybe you're worried and burdened and distracted by so many things, which so many of us are. And maybe it's just a time to give it all, give it all away for a few minutes. Let's pray. Lord, we give you this time to bring to you our crisis, our distraction, our worry, our burden. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive us for making um, good things, ultimate things. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to call it out in our lives, to remind us of what's most important. That when, all, when, when we look back on our lives and it's all over, and we move on to the life to come, God, I pray that you were honored and glorified in it when it's all said and done. Jesus, help us not waste our lives. Help us not waste them on needless things. Because, Lord, when we, when we do things, our work, and make a holy work for your glory, you tell us we store up treasure in heaven. I don't even deserve it, but that we do. You reward us. You bless us. Your grace is amazing. Move in this place, Holy Spirit. Lead us closer to your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.